This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Rabbi Rosenfeld, I think you're ready. I think we're on. Yeah, I think we're ready. We're ready. There you go. Floor is yours. Gavaldik, thank you very much, Moshe Sofer. Thank you very much, Torah Anytime. Welcome, everybody, to the Rabbi Ruvian Epstein Show, to this fourth episode of the Rabbi Ruvian Epstein Show. My name is Ruvian Epstein, and I am very excited to be here tonight. Um, with our very chash of a guest, who we're, we're going to introduce in just a moment. Just as a hakdama, um, there are certain people who are extremely memorable, and we're going to meet two of them tonight. And many years ago, Rabbi Leif had shared with me, although I just gave away who we're having, because some people may know already from the million of flyers that went out. Rabbi Leif shared a vart at the Ar Yitzchak, um, at the Ar Yitzchak dinner, and this vart stuck in my mind as changing my perspective to so much of the work that I do on a daily basis. And I believe that this short four-minute insight really can change the perspective of so many people as they relate to others. The Pasuk says that when Yaakov decides to go down to Mitzrayim to see Yosef, Yisrael, Rav, Oy, Yosef, Yosef is still alive. El Chav Eranu B'Taram Amos. Let me see him before I die. And Rabbi Leif quoted, he'll tell us who he quoted, but he quoted, he said, Chazal say that Yosef, that Yaakov was telling us a message about Yosef. He said, when somebody has a struggle that other people maybe would have failed at, but he rises to that challenge. In the next world, he's going to have a place that is so far ahead of your person who just went through life, simple, easy, without that challenge. The fact that Yosef was miskaber and that he stood up to Aisha's Petifar, it sets him so far apart. And what Yaakov was saying was, let me go see Yosef now, because in the next world, he's going to be so far ahead of us that we're not going to be able to be oimed b'mechitzase. We're not going to be able to see him, to get close to him for how far he has, he has gone. Now, that message for me was such an impactful message because I deal with so many people from so many different stripes. And I, I put it in my brain as something like glasses that I would occasionally have to put on. One night, I'm sitting in base Medrash and a guy comes over to me and he says, I want to talk to you. He sits down, we start schmoozing. And for lack of a better term, and it sounds so derogatory, but most people would probably classify this person as, as a bummy-looking person. His dress is not that of a Ben Taira, of a yeshiva man. And he comes over, he starts asking me about a certain problem, and I chapped. This person had an assignment that most people probably will never have, and if they did have, they probably would fail. And my whole perspective on this person changed. I was like, one second. I'm not dealing with a bum, dealing with a gadol. Like this guy, what he stood up to, the nisyonis that he faced, most of us can't even understand. But he didn't just face them, he, he beat them. And my whole perspective on this person who I see on a nightly basis, pre-corona, is like, I'm not dealing with a, with a pasha de yid here. It's like the fact that this guy's walking around in his dress, that's no, not pasha, it's no right to look down on him. That, that's what makes him so big and so great. 
So first of all, Rabbi Leif, before anything, I just want to thank you for that perspective. But I, I think that, you know, just to take it a step weiter, is that last night around one o'clock in the morning, my phone beeped that my phone was ready to upgrade. I was very excited. I don't know if you get so excited. I don't know if they have this on, uh, on all phone models, but I'm even yavin. Some phone models have this very exciting moment of time when your phone decides to upgrade itself. And when it upgrades, it takes, you know, three, four, five minutes. And then all of a sudden, it's like, it's like, it's like a new phone you get. It's very exciting. For those of you who can relate to what I'm saying, it's very exciting. The keyboard looks different. Everything looks different. You have a lot more things to, to, to do on your phone that you didn't have to do before. And it struck me that with my phone, there's like a moment in time that you see a change. It's like my phone was this yesterday and today it's something new. And when it comes to inspiration, when it comes to people changing, most of us don't have that moment where you wake up and go, today I'm a new person. I'm just like a new person. I upgraded myself and it just happened. And I think that the way that most people really change is through a series of moments where they're inspired or they inspire themselves to take their life from level to level. And then over time, they slowly change. Rabbi Rosenfeld and Rabbi Leif, you are two people who have constantly showered Kali Yisrael with so many nuggets, pieces of information, wisdom, and Torah that thousands upon thousands of people have been able to navigate their lives to a higher better place because of the small incremental changes that they've subconsciously, subconsciously, they didn't, they didn't say, oh my gosh, my life was, you know, about to end and I decided I'm going to change. But the change that happens by most people is incremental. It just happens. You hear it, it goes into your brain and then your glasses change. The way you hear things, the way you perceive people, the way you do business, everything totally changes. So tonight, it's a tremendous host to drum roll, Introduce Rabbi Moshe Tovili and Rabbi Ozzy Chaim Rosenfeld, um, who are going to be my guests. And before I do, I want to, first of all, just remind everybody that if you would like to email me, you can reach me at email at marriagepro.co. You can watch all of my classes on Torah Anytime, as well as Rabbi Rosenfeld and Rabbi Leaf, who are streaming on Torah Anytime, as well as on podcasts. There's also a tremendous organization that is backed by Torah Anytime called 24K, F-O-R, 24K.com, which is an initiative to get people to take on Kabbalahs during these trying times and to get them to take on a Kabbalah to do something for the 24,000 Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva. With that being said, um, everybody's reminded to sign up to the Torah Anytime Daily Dose, 929 355 4268, and just text them the word add me. So Rabbi Leif is the Rav of Agadis Yisrael Beis Binyamin. He was not just the Rav, because everywhere you read about Rabbi Leif, um, everywhere you read about anything that he's accomplished, the word is, the, the word Leif and Minnesota or Minneapolis is synonymous. So Rabbi Leif is not just the Rav, but the impact that he had over there is incredible, which we're going to hopefully talk about tonight. And Rabbi Chaim Rosenfeld is a teacher at Sinai Academy, but what most people don't know about you, Rabbi Rosenfeld, and we're going to talk about this tonight as well, is how your life journey of teaching in Sinai sort of has morphed into becoming this online, on Torah Anytime, of course, the only, the only website on the internet, to become this, um, this beacon of spiritual guidance to thousands and thousands of people on a weekly basis 
um, who are not from Sinai Academy, mainstream, regular yeshiva man who is getting so much inspiration from you. So Rabbi Leaf, I'd like to start with you tonight. I want to welcome you to the program. And it's really a chus to have you on, you Rabbi Rosenfeld as well. Thank you for taking of your precious time um, and uh, moving from <laughs> whichever part of your house is now designated as the base medrash into the other part of your house, which you probably haven't seen in a few minutes. And thank you for, for dedicating your time because a Rav's time, I always say a Rav is people don't appreciate Rabbanim, how much time goes into every little thing. There's no such thing as a two minute question. Every two minute question is a 20 minute question and becomes a 20 year relationship. So thank you for taking of your time. I want to ask your belief from when you started out in Minneapolis, and it could be you started before, I don't know, please enlighten me. How, how has your, your giving over Tyra changed from your move to New York, but specifically to like becoming an online presence? How did that change you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you, Rabbi Rosenfeld, my wonderful friend, Amzeisha Talzorn, with his fra- father. I call him Kayan Sedek on Friday mornings, Bezashem, with Sedek Kayan for many years already. And we've had many discussions about many of his projects. He's a tremendous Talmud Chacham Ben Teir and a wonderful human being. Rabbi Epstein as well. It's such a schuss to be with you. You influence so many. And Ramesh Sofer. Now, being this isn't a lecture, we're going to get a Zev Mazok Tamish. Yes. And a little more comfortable. I don't know if the kapata is coming you. off, but the hat came off. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I never wanted to get involved in Torah anytime because my Rebbe Tzimorabel, who was incredible, Machanechas, was very apprehensive. You're going to say things. You won't be able to retract them. Who's going to proof all the shiurim? And initially, any time I taped a shear, she had to see it or I had to see it from beginning to end. But my beloved friend, Moishi Sofer, was so adamant at Megamacht Meshuggah, like they say. <laughs> this goes back several years ago. And he came to the Aguda. And he taped me. And he filmed me. And he filmed me. And I went there to Yisrael on a mentor's mission for a Sameach. And he went ahead and he forced me to take the camera to take a shear that I was giving to the Yungalite over there. I was in Eretz Yisrael. I'm coming out of the Kaisal Maravi. And a fellow stops me. Wilson's Arch. A Sephardi fellow from Deal, New Jersey with a baseball cap. And he says, Rabbi Tuvia Leaf, Rabbi Tuvia Leaf. I said, yeah, my name is Maisha Tuvia. More Reb Tzaddik, more Reb Tzaddik. It was like unbelievable. This fellow and Reb Tzaddik Akayim Lublin, he's a Sephardi from Deal. He's not wearing a black hat. He's wearing a baseball cap. But he's such a tyrant, tyrant. That's Torah anytime. So first, it's not a plug. It's tremendous Akaras Atayv to Torah anytime. They're giving all of us the opportunity. And it's an interesting thing. I have a Talmud of mine was a big rov in Cleveland, and he's negotiating with Torah anytime. They told him, believe it or not, there are 800 Rabbanim throughout the world that want to join Torah anytime. Wow. 800 Rabbanim in Eretz Yisrael, in Russia, in England, in Holland, in New York, in Muncie, in Williamsburg. 800 Rabbanim. So we that are zeichet to be on, it's a chesed alien. Thank you very much. Now, wow. I'm not supposed to give guns to Shurim. The response is supposed to be three minutes. But I'm just <laughs> going to say one thing. Yeah. He quoted a beautiful vart from my Rebbe, Moran Agayin Rebbe Fol Shmuel Berem I heard this vart when I was on the plane flying to his kfura. 
I did the Tara, what other Talmudim. I flew to his Leviah. I was covering him. I buried him. I was masked him. And his son, the Rosh Hashiva, told me this. And also it went into my bones, into my heart. But he phrased it a tad different. He said the question, as Rav Epstein said, if he's going to die, Yaakov Avinu, of course he won't be able to see Yosef. But he based his answer on what Rabbi Chonon Wasserman Zatzal Hashem Kim Domi told the Bachem Baranovich. He said, Life, run to Radin and see the Chavetz Chaim. Because in this world, you'll be allowed to see the Chavetz Chaim. But in Yenavelt, in the world to come, where they realize and recognize who he is, you won't be allowed in his environs. You won't be able to see him. Forget about giving him Shalom. Said so Rabbi Shmuel, it was the Masmid Hador. This was Rabbi Shmuel Birnbaum. The quintessential masmid, he never stopped learning. Rabbi Moshe didn't want to disturb him for meetings because he said the Gemara is so tired. The Godlador said we can't bother Rabbi Shmuel Birnbaum to come because he loves learning too much. So he said that Avadi Yaakov was Ishtam Yeshevaiholam. He was the most exquisite Torah scholar ever lived. But Yosef, Yosef was called by Chazal Yosef Hatzadik. He faced the Yitzhar and the Yitzhar blinked. The most difficult Nisayan, according to Chazal, of all the Nisayanists of Avram Avinu, combined with all the other Aves, Ishes Paitifar. He was at Sadiq. Said Yaakov Avinu, I better go see him now. Because exactly like Rav Epstein said, for those that are Oymid bin Nisayan, I won't be able to see him. The reason why Rabbi Shmuel Birnbaum loved this generation is because every one of us, connected, disconnected, subconsciously, consciously, unconsciously, have so many Nisyonis. And we're Ayman bin Nisyon. How many fellas, they won't leave till the end of Kaddish. They won't take off their talus until the end. They have a right to bindle, sit at 10 kapitlach tilim. I don't care how they dress. I don't care how they look. I don't care how they live. The mamish Ayman bin Nisyon. So many thousands, tens of thousands of Yidden in New York and all over the world. Ayman bin Asayan, real tzaddikim. This is where Rabbi Shmuel was enamored with our generation. Rabbi Shmuel felt ours, the generation that's Ayman bin Asayan. This is also an Asayan of virus. But you know what? Ayman bin Asayan. How much Torah is being learned, chesed being offered. Thank you for allowing me to join you. And please, I'd love to hear from Rabbi. For sure. One second. Before we get to Rabbi Roosevelt, I actually have a question. Um, you know, first of all, I just want to say that a very big part of how I like I like uh, to run the show, and I always tell my wife that the time flies by. More than that is that a lot of times I, I almost forget that we're on a show. <laughs> Rabbi Leaf, I feel like we're sitting across from each other having a dialogue. My, my, I, I actually want to jump on this point for just one second. Is this generation... I'm a young guy, right? I'm a young guy. I, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, like I was born like of the, of the digital age, you know? I'm not going to announce my, my age on, on, on camera here. How is this generation different in the scope of things? How is it different? Where, where do we fit into this, into the scope? Meaning the, the, the challenges that we have today, are these things that they had 50 years ago, 100 years ago? Is it, is it are we different? Like... <clears throat> Did it never exist that we have all these things? I'm not even talking about the therapy, how like every other person, you know, you know, has, has their, their one or two or three therapists, which is in my mind, a good thing that people are getting help for what they need. But how does our generation compare to what, where we're coming from? Okay. So I'm a little bit older. 
not as old as I would appear, but a little bit older. <laughs> I had Rebbeim, like Mary Rabbi Reb Shmuel Birnbaum Zatzal, Reb Shlomo Zalman Norbach. I was close to Reb Shach, the stipler. Shver was very close to the stipler. I would consult Ravel Yishver, but it's a kfegelstock. Yibod Menchayim. I mean, I knew Gdoylem. I learned Pachavrusa with the tells of Hashiv Reb Chaim Stein. Three years less than man. And let me tell you something. We are an incredible door. Nobody, I believe, ever had the tests, trials, tribulations thrown at them like we had. We were marching on the way to Mashiach 10, 15, 20 years ago. When I was a kid, my father's that cell was a big Tamat Chochem. He was considered a special Rav because he gave a shear in Mishnebrura in the 60s and 70s between Mincha and Meir. Others gave him kids a Shulchanach. And now everyone's learning. I was by Chaim Kanievsky, Shlita Sarah Teira, for a Kabbalah from my kill. I try to go every year. So he said, the Kavetim La Teira one year? I said, yeah. He looks at me with his eyes and he says, an hour? I said, no, two, three hours. Who in the Aguda doesn't want to lose two, three hours a day? He thought, and he thought, and he thought, and he said, more tired. So we are an incredible door. Yes, we have Nisiyanis. But you know what? If Hashem gave them to us, it's because we can deal with them, and we're dealing with them. I'm not excited about all the issues that we have with the technology. I'm not excited about the fact that people don't have a Rebbe. You want to make it through life today? I don't care what kind of yarmulke you wear, whether you wear a hat, whether you say Torah, or you say Torah, or you say Tere, or you talk in Hasidish or Yiddish, you have to have a Rebbe. You have to have a Rav, a Manik, a Rosh Hashiva, a Rebbe. Your life is going to be bliss. And that's something that I think this door has to emphasize. I think that it's an incredible door generation or two away from the Holocaust and the spiritual Holocaust of America, growing up with Torah, with mitzvah, yeshiva, everyone getting into it. But many people are adrift. And to be able to navigate this world with relationships, in marriage, in raising children, in healthcare, in panasa, in Torah, you need a Rebbe. And those individuals I've seen for decades that have a Rebbe, they sail through life. And those that think they can do it on their own, chop a shear here and a shear adult and put your hat in this space, marriage, that space, marriage. It's a real struggle. Mm-hmm. So even in my day, I learned in the mirror, I learned to call Taira, I learned in Tells in the Kyle for 12 years. There were individuals who were mavericks. I don't know if they made it. Those that were macabre from the Rebbe, danced with the Rebbe, sang with the Rebbe, were meyayis with the Rebbe, they made it. I'm sorry for taking so much time. I just want to end with one little story that happened, an indication of what Nasteri is all about. Can I know a blessed with wonderful, wonderful children, each one better than the next? My oldest daughter, Shlomo Srina, can I know her? She lives in Kiyat Sefer. Her husband, Rebbe Kiv is a tremendous guy in the big time at Chochem, Rosh Kirtle. She was in Minneapolis. She talked about Minneapolis. And she had a couple of best friends in her class. She went through elementary school, high school with them. She went to Hadar Seminary. Robertson Torsky, Robertson Ornstein. She came back and she taught for a year in the Torah Academy. 
And then her best friends all got married. So she comes to my wife and myself, and she says she feels she's having a little bit of a urethra. She wants to go back to Eretz Yisrael for a year. I said, what are you talking about? You're about 20 years old. Shidduchim. She feels she has to go back. I said, it's not going to happen. Bobby Leaf is going to kill me. It's not going to happen. My wife says, go with Rib Shmuel. I said, what is Rib Shmuel? There's nothing there, Rib Shmuel. It's not Shaila. She's 20 years old. Her friends are married. She's in Minneapolis. She has had a shidduch in six months. Now she's going to show for another year. Go with Rib Shmuel. Okay. I get two tickets. I fly to New York with my daughter. We're sitting in Rib Shmuel's house. Headquarters of the world. He's at the head of the table. I'm next to him. My daughter next to him. And we're talking. Now she speaks Yiddish. The kids go to Yiddish-speaking Cheda, but then she understood it. So I'm telling Reb Shmuel how she's in Minneapolis, and she's a Basaliya, she's a great kid, but she's scared she's going to slip. Her friends got married, and she wants to go to Eretz Yisrael. I said those two words, Eretz Yisrael, she burst into tears. It was emotional. She was nervous in front of the guddle. Rav Shmuel turns to me in Yiddish and says, Gleich foreign and Eretz Yisrael. She has to go straight to Eretz Yisrael. I said, Rebbe, what's going to be with the Shidduchim? You know, my mother, Zangazunt, Bibal Bechaim. What am I going to tell my mother? He says, Gleich and Eretz Yisrael go straight to Israel. She'll find her Shidduch there. Now, need I tell you the rest of the story like Paul Harvey? She had a dry spell of six months. She went there and just wrote, from the moment she landed, the Shadduchim were coming out of her ears. She gets on a bus in Kiryat Sefer. Some lady sees her, calls my sister-in-law, who was in charge of Shadduchim. She's going out. She's coming back. She's showering. She's going out again. And of course, she met my beloved Akiva in Eretz Yisrael. And of course, he was a Talmud of Tzvi. That's Dan's Torah. I didn't know what Shmuel's doing. I'm going to send my kid back to Eretz Yisrael when she has to get married, and I'm living in Minneapolis. If you got a Rebbe, if you got a Rebbe, you're going to make it. And that's my suggestion to the Olam, the Baldek of Aliyah that are listening, and Aliyah. Get a Rav, get a Rebbe, get a Moraderech, get Rabbi Rosenfeld, get Rabbi Epstein, get good people, and talk things over and ask questions and follow suit. You will succeed. Thank you. So, so Rabbi Rosenfeld, I want to segue to you for a second. You... Many people know as Rabbi Rosenfeld. Many people know you as Rabbi Chaim Rosenfeld. And some people know you as Ozzy Rosenfeld. And rumor has it that your, your Ozzy doesn't come from Rabbi Israel or Israel Chaim or nothing like that. I won't get into where it really comes from. But there's a, there's a rumor going around that you were an incredible sports player and uh, tennis player, baseball player. I, I think you played shortstop, if I'm not mistaken, if things... If things, uh, if, if everything that they say about you is true. My question is, <laughs> where did you get from going from being, you know, your life's path into Sinai Academy? Could you walk me through that? How did you get into teaching and where did you, where did you, where did you pick up this bug that one day, hey, maybe I should be teaching in Sinai Academy? Where did that come from? Well, first of all, my father's watching and you said that name, Oz. So now he's like cringing right now. So I apologize to Abba, who's watching right now. I'm sorry, Abba. I, I'm sorry, Abba. I apologize also. Yes. That, <laughs> that name did. That name originated from one of the great baseball players, uh, Ozzie Smith. That is correct. It's not as real. He was a, he, but, but whatever. I told my father, it's really from Ozzie Vizimraska, and he went with that for a while. <laughs> oh, I was good, but I think he hopped. Uh, the truth is, is that 
when I started, um, I wasn't like Robert Leaf from the beginning involved in Chinuch. When I first got married, um, when I first got married, I just wanted uh, to maybe teach a little bit because I was in camp. I was in Camp Stechem and I loved working with the younger kids and motivating them. They were modern Orthodox kids. And then I said, you know, I'm going to teach one year before. I was in advertising school. I wanted to go into advertising. And I said, let me teach one year. But you can't just walk in at a 23-year-old kid into a place like North Shore. You should be a flapper. You need a master's. So someone told me about this place called Sinai Academy. It's in Bensonhurst. It's for Russians. They're looking to hire a Rebbe. My friend was a Rebbe there. He was leaving. I said, Russians? I didn't know what they were talking about. Russians? I mean, I, I remember the songs, Let My People Go, The Iron Curtain, Mordechai and David. So they said, just go, just go, just go. So I walk into class, 30 guys, each one bigger than me, with a, with a mustache. And they're looking at me. I'm like, Robert, what, what, what is it? One guy, I remember, Dima Kozovsky, he was like so big that his, his feet didn't fit under his desk, like wobbling on his, on his <laughs> legs, his feet. And here I have to give a class. And I said, I got up there, I said, you know, it's not going to happen. So I just winged it. We had a good time. And after 45 minutes, I walked out, Rabbi Katzin, the man that transformed Russian Jewry, says to me, okay, you're hired. I said, what do you mean? I said, I don't know how to teach. Because yeah, yeah, I don't need your teaching. I need your smile. I need your dress code. These kids, they don't need that, you know, that Rebbe with the long white beard. They need someone that's going to give them a smile. And they need someone that they can look up to and dress normal. You're hired. I said, okay. I came home. I said to my wife, what do you think? She goes, yeah, hey, give it a, you know, do it for half a year. And that's it. Robert Goodson said, you're going to change the world. Half your class, they're 18 years old. They don't have a bris. And none of them keep kosher. None of them keep Shabbos. You're going to change the world. I walk in all motivated. I'm like, that's it. I'm going to come in. Everybody's going to be from. <laughs> After half a year, I don't know what I was doing. I was totally destroyed. The stuff was flying all over the class. They're not listening to me. I'm preaching, trying to get someone to change. Zero, total zero. In fact, one day, three guys picked up my Toyota Corolla and they carried it and put it on the sidewalk. Seriously, <laughs> put my car, Robbie Leaf, on the sidewalk. And after one day, I used to teach that until two o'clock in the afternoon. I was a Rebbe until two o'clock in the afternoon. And I, one day I walked downstairs and I said, I'm done. I said, I'm done. I, I, my, my head was in the sand. I was sitting there at the dining room table with 27 guys in my class that day. And what was one guy, Mike, I remember my head was down. He calls me. He's a rabbi. I said, what? He looks at me and goes, ha, 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 I remember that face still haunts me till today. Still haunts me. And I decided that day, this Friday, I'm going to Rabbi Katzin. And I said, I'm done. I tried. I tried to make a difference. It's not happening. I'm not making a ration. And this is true. I walk outside and I started walking to my car. My head is down. I'm a beaten man. And I just keep my face down because I, just not to trip. And then there's like these two feet that's standing in front of me. So I look up and there's this really old woman just looking at me. She had like a beard. Seriously, it's like hair is coming out. She's looking at me. I'm like, yeah. And she says, and get it. She says, do guys, I'll say in, the, uh, in English. She says, do you go to this yeshiva? I said, uh, yeah. She goes, do bistaleta? I mean, are you a Rebbe or are you a teacher or are you a student? You think I look young now? Then I look like six, you know? <laughs> oh, he says, are you a teacher or, 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 or a student? I said, I'm a Rebbe. He says, what do you teach? He said, I teach Chumash and Mitzvahs and whatever. And she looks at me and she goes, oh, you're doing such a beautiful job. Don't ever give it up. And then she walks away. And then she disappears into the horizon. No, that's what happened. But <laughs> No, but seriously. And I like, it like hit me. 
and I got into my car, which was still on the sidewalk, by the way. <laughs> and then I and I looked up, I looked up, I said, Thank you, Tribanishov. I'm gonna finish the year. And then I walked in the next day, and it nothing bothered me because I'm doing a good job. I decided I'm never gonna change another soul. I'm just gonna do a good job. The khir is up to the person. You're not supposed to make anybody. I don't want to take credit for making anyone from because then I got to take credit for all the ones that married, unfortunately, Gentiles. I don't want to take any credit. <laughs> People have the hero, but you have the opportunity to be in front of a class every day. You have an opportunity to change the world. And, 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 and then since then, as, the, as Rabbi, Rabbi Leif said, once went on tour anytime, then it all went crazy. Exploded. It's so interesting. I want to I wanna just segue over here into this, into this idea also because... I, I, I was with you on the Shabbaton and I watched some of your classes and you have an incredibly very smooth way of not just answering questions, but like relating and, 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 and being there for people like with the answers that just really resonate with them. And it's almost funny because I know you started off in Sinai and a lot of your, you know, they talk about target audience. I remember when I started off on Torah anytime, I also got here through Moshe Sofer, who also was hounding me. And then finally he put a, he put a, a camera in the room and, you know, whatever. And then he turns to me the next day. He goes, by the way, you have 500 people who listen to this year. 500 people. Where's 500 people? There were five guys in the room. No, it's 500 people. And then, you know, Baruch Hashem, it just keeps growing and growing. So it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing that they're doing. But I know that with you, Rabbi Rosenfeld, your target audience was these people, was, was you know, these Russians from, from Sinai and your Talmidim who sort of st- stayed with that demographic. But there's so many people who are regular mainstream yeshivalite who your message resonates with them because it's almost like the, sim- the, the power of simplicity. You know, like, it's just like, it's just, it's just pure unadulterated, simple truth. And that's what Tyra is. Like, it's very, it's very fascinating to me how many people it, it speaks to, even though you're not necessarily talking to them. It hit me for the first time. I mean, because Moshe Sofer is in the room, just hiding. Yes, he's the one to put the camera in my class also, which I was very against because then you're going to be held for anything inappropriate that you say forever. And, um, but he said, listen, there are a lot of students out there that can't come, so why don't you reach them? A lot of students can't make it. Then I started getting calls from Hasidim, and they're like, oh, can you speak? I remember one day they said, can you speak in Georgie Wiggs on 16th Avenue? I'm like, what? You know, I, I speak to guys, and I'm a Chal Shabbos. Want to even speak to the Hasidim? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a topic, want you to speak about Simcha. I said, a call to Lutvach should speak to a bunch of Hasidim about, about Simcha. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just come. I thought they were a joke. I got up there and there were like 300 people. I'm speaking to Hasidim. Uh-huh. And then they asked me to come to Kedav Tuni. Hatsuda Kevitur is like Project Inspire, just a thousand Hasidim. And again, I said, I'm not coming. You don't realize I don't speak to you guys. You guys wear the lot. And they look at me and go, well, you think we're from? You think we're from? I go to the mikvah. I don't believe in God. You think I'm from? I don't believe in God. Come, I don't believe. I said, yeah, right. I promise you, Ruben, I was there for Shabbos. My wife was in shock. I mean, trust me, there are a lot of very hush for people. I would say by that weekend, at least five to 10 people, Hasidim, told me that they struggled tremendously keeping Shabbos, putting on film. They just, they're not into it anymore. I mean, they wear their stuff. And therefore, I started realizing the people that watch, when you're speaking about a moon and we're speaking about Tyree, trying to connect, from people today have the same issues as every secular person. People are struggling with the Muna. They go to shul. They're not feeling it. They're not connected. And therefore, they need to literally start again. The same way when I'm teaching. I'm teaching guys for the first time. Guys, they went to Yeshiva. They went to Kailal. are going back for the first time and are saying, Where, what did I miss? How come I could be learning all day, 
I could be davening and I feel zero connection at all. So therefore, I didn't realize it. And like you said, Rabbi that's how I got into the regular world. Regular Shabbatons are from people. They're like, they're calling. So it, it was an eye-opener to me. Amazing. Rabbi Leif, I want to tell you, my, my, my father used to have this, uh, this thing on Purim. My father would, uh, would set, put up the whole table with uh, schnapps and, you know, wines and various things. My father had every year a, a Torah contest. Um, the contest basically was the groups would come in. They'd say, you know, here collecting for Levachim or whatever the case would be. And my father would say, okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. And for every answer you get right, we'll give you a certain amount of money. So for example, name every woman in Shas, right? So <laughs> like, bro, yeah. you know, like you start like fetching around and this and that. And he, he would always, you know, this was his yearly thing at different questions some years it was easier some years it wasn't you know name all the nice kalim on shulchan Aruch. it was one year like he had all his different questions that he would ask and then depending on your answer this was the days before like smartphones everyone just googling things under the table like you had to mamish know what you were talking about you know sometimes guys would come in and maybe they weren't so learned so my father would say okay you know you're not so learned it's fine you know we have a lot of uh, a lot of schnapps on the table and for every Every cup that somebody drinks, you know, will add a little bit to your, to your, you know, to the bill. And he, he had these different ways of incentivizing people to, uh, to be misameach with Purim, but also to sort of test their knowledge to see how much they actually know. Um, this came crashing down to, 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 to a screeching halt uh, one year when somebody almost died in his house. That's somebody being me, but that's a completely separate story for a totally different time. Now, one thing that my father always used to, to do was when people come in, he would say to them, where do you learn? Learn in the mirror. Who's your Rebbe? Shemul Birnbaum. Where do you learn? Learn in Tells. What do you learn? I learn in, you know, Saba. everyone have their, their thing. So my father is always his first question was, oh, you learn by whoever it is? No, give me a vart. Like, tell me something from your Rebbe. And he would always, after Purim, he would, he would you know, my father, Baruch Hashem, a very smart man, he would, he would say, you know, you know, this, these yeshivas, uh, you know, what, what does it mean? You, you know, these seven groups came in. They didn't know one thing from the, you know, they weren't expecting it. They, they couldn't repeat one shmua from the Rebbe. When it comes to Shmuel Birnbaum, I hear this in our Yitzhak from the Rosh Yeshiva. And I hear this from, you know, people I know who learned in the mirror. It, it's just wellspring of information. I mean, the Talmudim of Rav Shmuel, Every vart, every parsha, every story, every anecdote. What was what was his? Not, I'm not asking what his impact was. What was the uniqueness of Rav Shmuel Birnbaum? I remember that I had gone to the Kailo and Tells. I remember Rav Shmuel, and I married my wife. I sure lived in Cleveland, Zechetzade, Vikarish Devrocha, and so I went for three months, stayed there in the Kirtle for 12 years. So it's called Eretz Yisrael. And the Altamiras, the Biel Rosens, that's how others weren't very happy that I went to Tells. And Shmuel said, you know, it's a yeshiva, it's Kavaldic, it's a Kirtle. He was Meshadach or Baruch Sarotskin's son. But anyway, so I come back one time and he asked me, what's Haltzach and Tells? Now, my response might have been incorrect because subsequently I became very close to the Rosh Hashidahs. They're very warm people. But this is my initial reaction, being there a couple of months as the newbie in the Kailu. 
I said, it's like the Lita. It's like Lithuania. You know, every 30 years, they give you a smile. <laughs> so he told me, ah, when Shmuel talked about the Chafetz Chaim, Rebaran also, it was the Alta. He said, the Chafetz Chaim at Gezok, there was once a general who waged a series of battles and won the war. 30 years later, the war breaks out again, and he schleps out the Alta Kanonen and Vagonen, the old cannons and artillery pieces. And they're losing on all fronts, so they call the general to headquarters, general, what's going on? Get out. I remember this like it happened today. And they say, I don't know. I'm doing exactly what I did 30 years ago. And they told him, Generals and Welt. It's a different world. You can't use the same armaments and same strategy. It's a different world. Blitzkrieg. Blitzkrieg. So the Chavetzrayim, he said, said, it's an You got to deal with this world differently. Rabbi Shmuel took my hand. It was the Miri Yeshiva had just been on the verge of redoing the whole base medrash. So it was the old days when the base medrash was packed to the rafters, three chavrusashaf sitting by the Oren Kodesh on top of the bima. There was no room. He takes my hand and he tells me like this. He says, in Yiddish, there's one person here I can give Musa to. I can give no one Musa. Everything has to be Ba'kifan. It has to be circular reasoning, hinting to something, alluding to something. And then he looked me in the eye and he said, It's a different world. Maybe it's a broken-hearted world. He told this to me 40 years ago. 40 years ago, Rabbi Shmuel understood that the world is a broken world. We're not talking after the concentration camps. These were the Altamiras. They were going to Israel. But he felt that the generation had to be talked to and addressed to. You think it's not easy meeting a Muslim Shmuz? to bang over the head. You know why this is happening? Because you're speaking Lashon Hara. You know why it's happening? Because you're talking in Lashul. You know why it's happening? Because you're cheating and stealing. Oh, that's going to have a tremendous effect on quality. So, Avada, Musr, Ibrahim, Kup. It doesn't work anymore. Avada, you have to give Musr. But it has to be with love. And it has to be preconditioned where it's going to be accepted. That was Rav Shmuel. He gave Musr. But he didn't bang you over the head. The reason why Rip Shmuel was so accepted by everybody across the board, from the wealthiest people to the simplest people, from well-learned to Pshuteyam, is because he understood them. He spoke their language, the language of the heart. That was Rip Shmuel. You know, Ramosha loved Rip Shmuel. To Rip Shmuel, Ramosha was like a Navi. Shortly after Rip Shmuel was Nifta, my cousin's son, Yehuda Foyer, told me an unbelievable story. He said, Ramosha had gone to visit, Shmuel had gone to visit Ramosha. And Ramosha walked him out of the apartment in the east side, FDR Drive. He walked him to the elevator. And coming up from the elevator was the two G'dayli Yisrael, his sons, Yibar Chaim, Hagoyen Rabdovet, Hagoyen Rabruve. Shmuel went down in the elevator and he asked them, if you have a question in Mila da Alma, about physics, about a mousetrap, about Mila Dalma. And you have a choice. You're going to ask Das Torah. There's a Das Torah that understands Mila Dalma and a Das Torah that has no understanding of Mila Dalma. Who are you going to ask? So he said, of course. 
going to ask us, Terry that understands Mila Dalma. I'm asking Mila Dalma, Shaila. So the Moshe name. Because them living in Mila Dalma will taint and color the Das Torah. You need to ask, Reina Das Torah Zev Reb Shmuel Berenbaum. You need to ask the rarefied, clarified, perfect Das Torah Reb Shmuel. That was Reb Shmuel. He was Das Torah. And with a smile and with a laughter. I remember taking Reb Chaim Gibber again. Reb Chaim Gibber's was curl in Minneapolis. We built a curl there. Siyat HaDashmai HaDashtad had a curl lake curl. So I flew into New York to speak with Rabbi Shmuel and ask him about Rabbi Gibba, who we knew. So I'm coming into the yeshiva, and I go to Rabbi Yibrudni, he was a Magachin, the yeshiva. Ah, Moshe Tuvye. You came to ask the Urm Vatumim? I said, yeah, I'm asking the Urm Vatumim. Rabbi Shmuel was the Urm Vatumim, but as the Urm Vatumim, they understood Nisyonis. He was a person that understood every human being. I remember watching him on King's Highway, racing his Mijinic, down King's Highway, the kid was a little boy, Mayor Shimon. He was unbelievable, Shimon. He was a normal person. He stayed in my house three times in Cleveland when I was in the Kyle and a Rebbe over there. Most normal person in the world. But he was the Orm Vatumim. So he resonated with everybody, with Hasidisha, with Litvisha, with the less affiliated, more affiliated. You're asking a good question, but that's because who he was. He was multifaceted. And he always told me, away from I remember before I came to Minneapolis, there were some issues there. The Teredika community was very small, maybe 40 families. And he had to leave a larger school. It wasn't a good relationship. And when I was taken to be the Rav, I flew in to see the Rav of the other shul, Rav Yom Tzmaisha Herzog, Zatzal alumnus of YU, member of the RCA, and they told him, I'm only coming if we learn Bechavrusa. If we don't learn Bechavrusa, I'm not going to come. We have to have a high-profile relationship. i got to quiet this Machlekes down. And if you ask him, fine, if not, I'm not going to come. I don't know if the other guy, the next fellow, is going to be willing to deal with it. We learned Bechavrusa all the years that he lived there before he retired to Eretz Yisrael. We learned Sitzeliyaz, we learned Dikris Moshe. One Shabbos, Shmuel tells my father, that's how, the biggest thing he did over there was to learn with the other of Chavrusa. We, Bnei Torah, we run away from Amachlaikis. We treat people with dignity. That was Rav Shmuel. i tell you a thousand stories how he dealt with difficult situations, but only because he had a heart of gold and because he loved people. And you'll find so many people who will tell you mices with Shmuel, Torah from Shmuel, because they made an indelible impression. He made people. They say yeah. that. I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to finish with one word that they say the Chafetz Chaim said he's Makana the Alt of Slabotke. Ich schreib Svorim and El macht Menschen. I write Svorim to the Chafetz He makes people. Shmuel made people. You don't see Svorim the Chadusha of Shmuel. It's not learned in the Yeshiva, even in the mirror. Where were his children? He made people. He validated people. Just one more story. It's a crazy story. I'm sorry. I'm taking the time. There was a young man in the cuddle many years ago, over 40 years ago. His wife became deathly ill with Yenemachli. You know, I don't like to say the name of this virus because the Zerakadish says, you don't say the name of a machla. So we don't even call it C-A-N-C-R. We just say Yenemachli. So she was very ill. He comes to Shmuel and he begs Shmuel, 
I need a haftacha, she's going to live. You know, she'll say, it's not me. You got to go to this one, that one. I don't do that kind of thing. It's not me. He's begging, he's begging. I can't help you. He goes out. A few days later, they connect with him and they tell him they came up with a brand new strategy for fighting the machla. It was a one-time deal. They never use it anybody else. They administer these drugs to her. She's alive today. She's a great grandmother. Huh. So he went back to Shmuel. He said, Shmuel, what did you do? didn't do anything. What did you do? What did you do? What did I do? I opened the Gemara. I said, Abai and Rafa, I learn from you. I live you. I teach you. Two epis, do something. Go to Shemayim. Go to Rabbi Shalom. I didn't do anything. Abai and Rafa did it. Tarb Shmuel, Abai and Rafa were real. But Tarb Shmuel, the single man, was real. And I was real. Wow. Sorry, wow. <clears throat> it's not very wow. rabbinical to get emotional, but uh, wow. touched on a chord thinking about my Rebbe. Wow, that is so powerful. It's unbelievable. I, I, I want to, uh, you know, Rabbi Rosenfeld, there's a very famous, you know, in the Mishnah that says there are Blazer than Azariah. Of all the Talmidim, he was, he was the, I don't know what the, the law is, it's like he was the smallest of the Talmidim. But it was Hagufa, it was like because of that that he became. Such a such a powerhouse that he became the leader of the generation because they needed they needed that that connection. It's so interesting to me. Um, my 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 grandfather was a rav. He was a rav in in the Bronx and he was a rav in Coney Island. My grandfather was a Talmud of Rebarach Bar. So he used to always say, "I don't. I'm not going to say it in Yiddish because I'll crack my teeth and I'll have. I just can't go to dentist today." But he used to say. You can't become a rav unless you're unless you know Chuvas unless it's right in front of you. You just you're not you didn't make it. You know, don't tell me you have a plaque on the wall. Like you're not you're not there with you know Rivikiveger and Samsayfer. You just you're not holding. You're not even you're not ready to be anything. You know that was like what he used to. That's what he used to talk. My grandfather. Today there's there's such a shift in. Again, you look at Torah anytime, you look at anywhere. Like Rabbi Rosenfeld, I know you, you have your job. I have my job. I'm an accountant. You have Rabbi Leaf. And yet, it, it, there's such a shift in how people are getting their education. It's almost like the needs of the, the Dar have shifted to, to allow for uh, Rabbi Rosenfeld, you're not Pashat. I'm just saying, like, you know, a Pashat Yid, like, like me, to, to like, yeah, I, I do my billing service. I do what I do. And then at the same time, like thousands and thousands of Talmudim. How many people did you, did you make from? You can't even count it, right? You walk down the street, people stop you and they go, like, it's almost like, um, like the Abishter like prepared that, meaning the, the, that, that the fact that people are so more relatable, the fact that people are able to sort of like connect on that simple, normal level. Oh, I had a hard day at work. Oh, I also had a hard day at work. Like, I want you to, I want to hear from you, like the, the, the success just being who you are because you're like what so many people think that they're going to be one day. People ask me all the time. They have ideas for different organizations and they're going to start this. They want to do this. You had this initiative and here you go. You have thousands and thousands of Tamidim listening to you a week. First of all, uh, first of all, Robert Leaf, you should have put me on with Robert Leaf. I can't compete with that. That's it's my rub. It's, 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 not, it's just not fair. Anyways, but and Rabbi Lee was very nice to say go to Rabbi Rosenfeld as a Rabbi. The truth is, you should not be going to Rabbi Rosenfeld as a Rabbi. You should be going to Rabbi Leaf. You should be going to Rosh Hashivas. 
I happen to deal with a different crowd. My tummy to call me, would they ever call me with a really rough? I call Rabbi Leva. Hold on. I call Rabbi Leva. <laughs> Rabbi Leva, here's the question. They think I'm a huge Talmud Chacham because I know by heart what brach you make on an apple and on a banana off my fingertips. They think I'm like a gadol hadar. So that's a different, that's a whole different, but there's no question today. If you want to do chinuch, it's not like, like I learned with Rabbi Ruvay and Epstein where we see each other our Yitzchak at night. Place is packed. And um, Balabatim, learning with guys. Learn with guys that just want to learn. They're not learning the Rosh Hashivas. They give them a Rebbe and they learn. So, for instance, um, uh, uh, someone in my shul, Ralph Hertzka, was making a uh, breakfast for our Sameach on Coney Island Avenue in uh, Cafe Venezia. He calls me, says, the speaker just left. Could you please come over quickly and speak to the boys? So no problem. I come running over there, sitting there in a cafe, 40 guys from Arsameach, right? So what am, what am I speaking about? I'm just a regular guy. I'm not threatening. And I get up and I speak about the, the topic, which I know it's on their mind. Not to give them any Gedolim stories or any Baal Shem Tov stories. I spoke about intermarriage. I was telling them about, about one of my students that was dating a girl and she's not Jewish. And the conversion, he wants to do an overnight conversion. He found a rabbi online, Rabbi Rodriguez is going to do an overnight conversion. And he's willing to get married. It's insane. I'm telling this whole story. I'm really getting into it. And that's, I'm focusing a simple guy, simple dress guy talking about the marriage, right? When you speak to a front people, you get up in the shul, you speak to a front people, a nice alum about the concept of Lush and Hara, about Lima Tyra. So what are you going to get? Can I come over with you? They'll, they'll darshan. After the class, three guys, and like Ralph was shocked, three guys came over to me. Can we speak to you privately? They're all dating non-Jews. And now they're really struggling and they want to talk. Give them my number. And we're not going to get into each story. But my point is, is that these people do not need, at least these people, they don't need any Gedolim coming. The Gedolim, yes, in Padovich, they need them. And in Briska need them. And they, and they need them. My son goes to Mir. That's what he wants to hear. My son's in Lakewood. That's what he wants to hear. But there's a huge world out there. And unfortunately, I believe we're, the, uh, we're only part of the 20%. <laughs> out of the 14 or 13 million Jews that are out there, probably only 2 or 3 million are, are from. The other Nebuch 9, 10 are not. That's just, the, that's just reality. So in fact, when I go, I teach on Sunday. It's more enjoyable because in the morning, it's mostly discipline because it's high school. On Sundays, I teach at Rage. It was a college graduates, working people, all secular. Before I go, if I'm wearing a white shirt, I, I, I throw on a blue shirt just to make sure they know, oh, he, he's a regular guy. He's just a regular guy. I have a medical billing office. I work in business. Yeah, I happen to be a rep. But so therefore they could relate. Once they feel they could relate, then they could open up. But as Robert Leaf said, for a regular guy, a regular from guy, I still think they should go to Robert Leaf, Robert Cinnamon, Robert Reisman. Please, they, don't, don't be calling me. That's, that's a sad state of affairs. That's what I would say. No, you're, you're great. There's, everyone has a lot to learn from you. Um, everyone has a lot to learn from you. Robert Leaf, on a, on a, a lighter note, I, I, I grew up in Brooklyn, in Flatbush. I'm now back in Flatbush, Baruch Hashem. Um, and I was like to marry my wife, who comes from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, you sort of straddled both worlds of the in-town, out-of-town um, lifestyles. What's the difference? Like, I want to hear from you the, the, the differences. How, how is it different living here versus living in, uh, what's it called, the state of 10,000 lakes? Yes. Now, it's actually 15,000 lakes. but 15,000? Um, 
yeah, the license plate hasn't changed, but uh, first <laughs> of all, I know your, your in-laws are incredible people. David and his Revitz and tremendous so you've got it right then and there. Um, well, <laughs> the basic difference is there's no Estranconi. So what ends up happening is, is that if it's after a year at 10.30 and I tell the Revitz and Maura Bailey, you know, maybe you get a half a pound of corned beef and rear roast beef, it's like not a problem. Now, even <laughs> though the wonderful deli in, in Minneapolis or Mayor Roberts, it's incredible, but Esanankoni is Esanankoni. I love Zisha, I love Yitzi, they're wonderful people. And I'm not getting a free hot dog for this. I'm just saying <laughs> that, you know, the amenities, living with so many Yidden, it's just incredible. But it's fascinating because many of the issues are the same issues. Child raising, encouraging children to get married, what to look for in a shidduch. You know, I've told people in Minneapolis and here in New York as well, what you're looking for in a shidduch for your daughter is one thing. That when you say goodnight to your daughter at two o'clock in the morning after the wedding, or if there's a mitzvah tans at five in, the wedding, five in the morning, you know she's in good hands. You know he's a nice fellow. That's it. Everything else is purish. More yichos, less yichos. More money, less. A big alarm, less money. Then again. You should be a nice person. You shouldn't scream at her. You shouldn't get angry at her. That's what you're looking for. The Minneapolis Jews are incredible because they were willing to steig. They're willing to grow. Started with 40 families. I believe it was about 200 families in the Torah observing community. And whether it's the Lakewood Kyle or the Beisiakov, Ripson Gibber has an incredible Beisiakov High School. Whether it's the Yeshiva now with uh, Rabbi Kutov doing an amazing job with nearly 100 Talmidim. A brand new mikvah, beautiful shul, all the things that are going on. Wonderful day school, Torah Academy, but it's the people. The people are real. But I found that the people here are real too. I really have. You know, I'll be honest with you. I grew up in Flatbush and I ran away from Flatbush. Everything's I grew up uh, in Thailand or I grew up in, uh, in Minneapolis. I grew up in Flatbush, East Third Street between Point Road and Avenue P. Shulbrini Zatzal was my neighbor. Shagamash Kamanovich Zatzal was my neighbor. Kamanovich of Terrace. Another Rashiva lived around the corner. I used to run around in the mirror when I was a little kid with Ashi Birnbaum and Ashi Kamanovich. G'daylum today. So I grew up in Flatbush. Went to Taravadaz in Flatbush. Torah to me. Went to Chaim for high school. But there was something about Flatbush. I wanted to go out of town. I went to call Terulim, Rebbe Shlomo the Rebbe Shlomo There was a mystique about out of town. I was in Cleveland, in the Kyle. I lived there for 12 years. Incredible community of B'nai Torah, of real mention, chesed, everything combined. Can name you a hundred personalities that are incredible. And this offer came up from Minneapolis, and I wasn't interested. My good friend of Yankel Feitman is Rebbe Tzvi Shlomo Rebbe Shlomo a little bit under the weather, a lot, a lot under the weather. So he was the rabbi of Israel in Cleveland, and somebody called him up. Shleimer warm and Zangazunt. But there's a Stella opening up. Was he interested? He says, no, but maybe call my Shaturi leaf. They called me. I said, absolutely nothing to talk about. I was a Rebbe in the Masifti at 11th grade. My wife was Mora Bailey at 60 kids in a nursery school. I was doing great. I'm not going to say the whole Aliyah how I ended up there. But it was just unbelievable. The people were real. But out of town had its own series of issues. In those days, you had to carve a niche. The Torah observant community was not prominent. There were issues with the day school. There were issues across the board with Kashras. The rabbi of the other synagogue belonged to the Minnesota Kashras, which 
really, the rabbinical council had conservative reform. I couldn't join it. I was only a rabbi. I didn't join it. So I was constantly consulting with the Gedolim as to every move I made. That was for 19 years. Coming here to New York, my brother, Rashiva Shlita, told me, you're not going to have those issues. But there are other issues. Some people have a jaded view of Flatbush. They don't know the warmth of the community. I remember coming here and saying that I wanted to turn Flatbush into a kihila. And in many ways it has with all the various wonderful Rabbonim, Rabbi Reisman, Rabbi Shor, so many incredible Tamil Chachomim. And there's such unity in the community and a strength of growth. Project Inspire was unbelievable. 2,000 not yet affiliated Yidden walking the streets of Flatbush. It was a yumtif in the gas. But there were basic differences, whether it was products, kashal of Pesach. Initially, I had to come to, to New York and speak here a bit and then load up cartons and crates that my cousin Ronnie Kagan used to ship to me from his store. And uh, Baruch Hashem, that's changed very much. Uh, my kids went to day school. A large percentage of the kids were not Shomer Torah mitzvahs. Now, Baruch Hashem, it's like a chay, that's a different school. But there were many, many issues, a lot of basic issues, but the people were willing to grow and to learn. But it's interesting, at the end of the day, this is my 11th year here in Flatbush, I would say 90% of the things are the same things. It's children and parents. It's getting along with each other. It's being honest in business. It's staying erloch and, uh, you know, growing. The Godot Sobeis Binyamin is a very growing kihila, constantly steiging and learning and looking for a higher level. Probably one of the basic differences is that there, I said many, many shiurim in Minneapolis, but the level of the shiurim here is at a much higher level. I prepare a lot differently than I did over there. And, uh, you know, they're good. Uh, those who've daven there in the morning, you have 800 people daven there every morning, up to 1,000 different minyonim. And Flatbush, you know, Yaakov Salman once said, I spoke at a, a convention, Inspire convention, but so is Shabbos. He said, the way Flatbush goes is the way the world goes. And the truth is that's still that's true. That's how we feel. That's definitely how we feel. Right? No, no, we... but it's still true. <laughs> I'm telling you, even in Lakewood, they tell me the same thing. I know it sounds silly, right? <laughs> Even the five towns, there's something about Flatbush, something about the Rabbanim and the Kehilos. I mean, I have a Shaila now by this by, by Hagoy and Sarah Taira about various things concerning backyard minyanim and such, which I do not approve of and all that thing. And my brother-in-law is going to tell him, and Rabchaim knows the way we go is the way Flatbush is going to go, and the way Flatbush is going to go, the way the world's going to go. So there is that achrayas, but it's very cutting edge, and a lot of the things are the same because you're dealing with people. And if you deal with people and you love people and you care about people and you want to help people and inspire people, it really makes no difference. But can, can I just jump in? I have a question. You, sure. you mentioned a couple of times on Chinuch. Right. And uh, to a certain degree, many of us are, are you know, are involved in Chinuch. I think that obviously Chinuch always starts, you know, it, I don't think, I think it's Pasha, but like Chinuch starts in the home, right? The way you raise your kids. You know, Rabbi Rosenfeld, we were like to be, you know, I don't use the word involved, meaning my wife taught your daughter as a, as a college teacher. And, and Baruch Hashem, you have it down to a science with how incredible your, your children turn out. Um, what's the secret? What, I know there's no secret. And I, went, I sat with a therapist recently to, to discuss. I was sitting at a chasana and I, I was sitting next to a therapist. I said, no, what's the nukuda? Like, what's the elevator pitch? What's the secret? And he goes, there's 700 stages. You know, I'm like, okay, I, fine. I'm not, I'm not, you know, not going to be here through. I, but, but what's the takeaway? Meaning, what's the Nakuda with, with Bojan? I, I, I want to hear what Rabbi Rosenfeld has to say for sure. But I want to say a few things just for a few moments. 
I'll look at the clock. It's 8.30. Okay. A lot of love. Always be there for your kids. Consistency is a key. You got to be consistent. You can't preach one thing and do something else. You got to be consistent. But I was telling Rav Chaim, I know we spoke about this today or yesterday, that, you know, I used to give a class at Hillel, and you have no idea. The Hillel director was Rabbi Sharon Stiefel. You heard me? Rabbi Sharon Stiefel. She was a reform rabbi. And this is a known fact. She had a significant other. She was the rabbi of Hillel. And she put me down on the official bulletin to give a Chumash class every week at Hillel. And she would come with her notes. So it was just crazy. I'm not going to get into Hillel. That was 19 years. But I used to say at the end of every class, to three kids, to 12 kids. I could tell you guys today that learned in Kyle coming out of that class. I said, whoever wants to come for Shabbos, come to me for Shabbos. And I said it again and again and again. And one time one girl says, yeah, my Muslim, this was a girl who had bling and body piercings. Not Stam, but Mamish in the nose, like Afchaz in the nose she had. To, I didn't see it. This is America. This is the, this is the, 90, this is the 90s, 2000s. To, to 10, whatever it was, in the nose. And she had Afsalachas purple and pink hair. Okay, she comes to the house. My wife rolls her eyes to me. Fine, she's there. She's sitting. Two o'clock in the morning, my wife comes downstairs. And there she is schmoozing with my daughter, Rabbanit Shlamit from Kiryat Sefer now, 12-year-old, schmoozing with her on the couch. So I sort of realized, you know, this is not a very, very good idea. But why that the college kids want to come into your house. You talked about Kirov. You don't know what they can do to be Makarov. Of course, if you're a businessman in Tamatoch, we could do so much. But I'm telling you, the average Joe doesn't realize you're empowering your 15-year-old, your 12-year-old. All of a sudden, someone who's a lawyer, a doctor, a dentist, a plumber, comes and spends Shabbos, and he asks questions, and your little kids who think they know nothing are the experts. They go, him and they go, sugar. Push it, the kids go to sugar and the people go to sugar. And you know what the biggest thing about inviting people to your house is? It's your inner sanctum. Office parties are in the office. Nobody has anybody over for a corporate dinner. It's in the restaurant. And you're allowing them into your inner sanctum, exposing them to your kids, people not yet shamed to mitzvahs. You know what you're saying to them? I mean, just one story I'm going to say, and then go ahead. We had a lunch and learn. It was a Gavaldica lunch and learn. About 25 attorneys downtown. Hated the thing, it was huge. My kids always came when they were off from school and they loved it. Sukkis, I used to have it in my house. One time I even served ribeye, whatever. So we had it in the sukkah, and people would come into the sukkah. There was a guy named Arnie, he was a big real estate mogul. So the kids, I had my Lulav and Esri. My Lulav and Esri in Minneapolis. I didn't pick a Lulav, they found one for me. And you know, if I postel it, it's all over. We sold 135 sets in those days, and you couldn't pick anything out. This is what you got. Fine. So this little Vanessa, my kids knew it's more important than my hat. It's more important than my hat. You got to be so careful to touch it. So I'm, I'm taking a little Vanessa, and I'm holding it in my hands. I'm giving it over to the people to shake. Men, most of men, some women. And this guy says, Rabbi, I know that. That's a lulav. I know what to do. And he grabs the lulav, and he starts whacking it around, banging the sock with the lulav like it's a broom all over the place. Oh. I'm telling you, I almost had a heart attack. Now, Benise Nisim, the Lulav stayed intact, and the following year convinced Ani to buy his own Lulav and Esri. But 
These kinds of things make such an intelligible impression on your children. From the side, they look, they admire, they respect, but you got to be consistent. You have to show the love. And you need tremendous, tremendous siyata bishmaya. There's no special formula. But, but in, a, in a certain sense, Rabbi Leif, what you're saying is that when you, when you inspire others and you bring that into your, into your life, into your house, it affects your children. Unquestionably. Rabbi, Ro- Unquestionably. Rabbi, Ro- Rabbi Rosenfeld, you, you started off with Tamidim and then your house, your house, I'm assuming, became like a, a gateway for them to not just hear from you, but to experience it, no? Yeah, well, we have rules. First of all, one, I would say one Shabbos in a from family's house is probably worth three months in class as far as inspiring. I would say one from wedding is probably an entire year of inspiring. You don't realize how beautiful our weddings are. People say they're too long. Go to one of their weddings and see what a disaster area is and then come to our wedding. You can't imagine how beautiful our weddings are and how beautiful our, our, our Shabbos day. But we have rules in the house. We only have usually only one meal Otherwise, it's not fair to the kids because I got to do just as much on my own children than everybody else. So if we usually have one meal and my wife has been incredible all the years, everybody, she does all the work. I just sit there and enjoy. She does all the work. So she gets all the credit. But as I believe was saying, there's no question regarding the chinuch, every kid is different. I have six kids and you got to treat each one of them. You might have one. I mean, Rabbi Epstein deals with couples all the time and knows what it is both sides when i started out teaching i've been teaching now i've been a rebbe there 26 years i might look young i'm an old man 26 years in the beginning it was one type of kid kid that was clueless kid that just came off the boat atheist now it's a totally different game now the kids are coming from public school yo 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 and a lot of and some rabbeim like like left we have one of my rabbeim a russian rabbi that was there for 17 years this kid, Steve, Steve was in his class and he called Rabbi a rabbi a dog. He called Rabbi a dog. He said, you call me a dog? And he threw him out. He said, go to Rabbi Kitson. He goes to Rabbi Kitson. He says, tell the rabbi what you said. He goes, tell the rabbi what you said. I want him out of here. He says, Steve, what did you say? He said, I called Rabbi Vyshevsky a dog. He says, you call him a dog? He says, Rabbi, dog's man's best friend. I love you, Rabbi. <laughs> Seriously. And Rabbi said, I'm done. And that year he left. He was done. Yeah, I can't. I, I'm, I'm good with the old, the old type of guy. And here's a top, now you have new type of kids. So I cannot teach the way I did in the olden days. Kids these days, like the chutzpah has, every kid's walking around. Like, you know, everybody has their, everybody has their, get, everybody has their mask that we wear. Like my guys would wear their mask like this, you know? They were like, cool, you know? Like, but you know, no, it's okay, Robert, it's cool. But you might, no, it's okay, we're cool. Everything's cool. So the chutzpah is ridiculous. Even today, like, I, I think you're running an amazing show, Robbie Epstein, with Zoom. It's incredible. Thank In you. our school, we still teach every day on Zoom. Baruch Hashem for Zoom. I don't know who to give a shout out. I don't know who owns Zoom, but whoever it was, <laughs> does a great job. And, um, and every Sunday, there's classes still going right. I mean, granted, while I'm talking, there's a guy shaving in the kitchen as I'm talking. And <laughs> Why are you shaving? A little, you know, I, and there's like, he could text me, I'm sorry, Rabbi. And 20 years ago, that never happened. But he said, today, two of my guys in my class, I'm serious, I have it on recording. Two guys in my class were in bed. 
in, in, they just did not get out of bed. They have to have their cameras on, otherwise they're marked absent. They're in bed, their head is sticking. I said, can you guys, <laughs> usually if you come with a tank top to school, so we send you out, you got to put on a collared shirt. I, where, where am I going to send this kid? You know, I didn't want him to get up. I don't know if he's wearing clothes under the blanket. Just stay in bed. Stay. I don't want to see. Just stay. I'm, I'm going to be horrified for the next 20 years. So when you're dealing, like we said, the chinuch uh, the is always changing. It depends who your it depends who your crowd is. It depends who you, what 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 type of uh, kid you're dealing with. So there's no one way, as Rabbi Leaf knows. There is no one way. It's impossible. You want to, I just want to tell you a very funny story. You know, many years ago, I, I was a bacher and there was a, there was a bacher who was younger than me, who was really struggling. Look, he looked the part, he sounded the part, but he really wasn't. He was, he was really, really, really struggling. And he had gotten involved with a couple of people who were, you know, sort of sending him in the wrong direction in life. And he went, you know, he was dealing with drugs. He, He had a very, very hard, hard life. And, um, at a certain point when he was like mamish at his lowest place from going from being like a top guy in yeshiva to, you know, really, really, really struggling. Um, he, he, he had attempted to kill the person who had introduced him to like the first thing that started his downward spiral. Mamish attempted murder. He tried to kill somebody. And a few years later, he pulled his life together and, you know, he's back from Shemr Shabbos and whatever. And I meet him at a chasana, you know, like a couple of years ago, I meet him. I said, how are you doing? He goes, you know, I have to tell you, he says, the chutzpah of today's door is not shy. <laughs> like coming from the guy who, you know, <laughs> tried to kill somebody. It's but it's almost funny to me. Like, are we are we always just focused like on us versus like how it was 10 years ago? Like I, this would never have happened years and years ago. Yeah, sure. To you, it wouldn't have happened. But in those in those things, it would have. I want to I want to end with with one last question and then and then we'll take this to the finish line. We're dealing today with with I, I mean I, I have a hard time even listening to politicians and people talking about um, everything that's going on in the world today because it, it really is so tumu- so tumultuous and it's very difficult to get like any clear direction on 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 anything that's going on. And everybody has their opinions of what should be and shouldn't be. And you hear them talking about, we have no, no chance to, to see the end of this virus and quarantine, but at the same time, everything needs to be opened up. It's like the, the, the mixed messages here are, you know, I don't even know where to begin, but the amount of seriousness in my mind to where the world is holding right now is, 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 is unreal. And my, my grandmother, Bubby Susie is 98 years old. You know, she was born right after, what was it, the, Spl- the Spanish flu of 1920. Very few people alive today have ever seen a matzah the way it is right now. And, you know, Rabbi Rosenfeld, I know we had spoken about this before. In my brain, you know, the, the messages that I'm hearing more from like Torah Anytime and, and speakers and Rabbanim and things are, are like, you, like, you know, like we spoke, are, are very, very positive but at the same time it's so hard and heavy and i myself had coronavirus i was very very sick um and when i woke up like before i woke up meaning for two weeks i was just laying in bed i was like the abishter is saying things are not good <laughs> things have to change this is like clar and as push it as could be and i want to start with you rabbi rosenfeld and then i want to hear from you rabbi leaf like what's the perspective on 
it, it has to be heavier than what we're hearing. Meaning the, the, the amount of tragedies is just, it's, it's unbelievable. How many people I know who are sitting shiva, it's, it's unbelievable the times that we're living through. What, what's a perspective or maybe what's a nechama? Like, how do, we, how do we view this? I'm not one of these, I don't want to say I'm not one of these Mashiach people. I'm very much a Mashiach person. Yeah, I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, this is, to me, every day the ghoul is coming. Like, right after this happened, I told my kids, I said, guys, we're packing up a suitcase. Mashiach is coming. Let's go. This is our Mashiach suitcase. The minute we hear that shaifer, we're grabbing our suitcase and we're running. This is what the Abish is doing. He's setting up the world and we have to believe that every day. But certainly when you see such clear message, like something is happening in the world, you have to take it to a degree of seriousness. So I sat down with my kids and I said, guys, Mashiach is coming. We have to believe that. But we have to do more than just believe it. We have to actually go out and do something. My question, Rabbi Rosenfeld, is what, what, what is your take? Like, just, just give me your observation. You're a very, very smart man. What's your observation to everything that's going on in the world? When you get up in front of a, a group, you have to say something. They're going to ask you to say something. You can't just say, oh, we don't know the Rebbeinah Shailam's ways. Rav Shach always denounced that. You don't know the Rebbeinah. Then that's it. Like the Lachdim, you carry, just, so you have to say something. Moshlam Malik wrote, be that nobody knows, impossible to officially know, but you have to know your crowd. What I'm going to say to my students, it's going to be different than what Rabbi Leif says to his Eilam. The truth is, I'm a little bit anti all the positivity because like Rabbi Epstein just said, I, I, I know now like 15 people, either guys I know or family or, or friends of mine, parents, I passed away within four weeks. That hasn't happened to me in like nine years. So just to say, oh, it's great. We're home and we're going to grow. And the... so I, I believe a person has to walk away with something. You have to say Hashem is telling us something. It's silly not to. Right now we're sitting 24,000 Sadiqim died. No one just says, okay, well, we don't not know. Shloinagu Tatari says, this is what happened. This is what you have to work on. After the second base of Mikdash, you did something wrong. Sinaspina. They didn't just say, well, we don't know. No, you got to do something. But it depends who you're speaking to. If I'm speaking to my students, I would tell them, listen, guys, Friday night, the movie theaters are closed. They're closed. Hashem is telling you, stay home on Shabbos. Enough of this. Going out to a movie theater on Friday. What are you, insane? Am I right? But they have to, they have to do something. They can't allow such a, a tragedy to go on six months. It's like, oh, whatever, Hashem is in charge. If you're speaking to front people, you're not going to tell them, well, Friday night is no, you know. But you could talk about shul. Hashem shut down the shul. Do you feel like shul is a bizarre sometimes when you go and everybody's pulling out their phone and every. And then someone might say, well, you don't know. Of course, I don't know. But for the person to walk through this whole thing and just say, no, it's good. We're home and we're going to learn to grow. Of course, you could put a positive spin. And Rabbi Leif would say, you know, this generation can't necessarily handle it. Fine. We can't be fire and brimstone. But you can never let when Hashem is talking to you, and just say, we don't understand. When the G'daylam are passing away, and there are over a thousand from people that died, and the entire world is shut down. We've experienced something that the world has never seen in their life. I think there's definitely there's room for people. It's, it's again, it depends who you're talking to. It's not you to say for the whole world when you're on tour anytime. It's complicated. Because who's your crowd? But I'm sure when I believe speaks to his crowd is one thing. When I speak to my own kids, it's another thing. But something has to be said. I I just think it's wrong just to say, Hashem. Oh, we know Hashem loves us. Hashem loved the people in the midbar also. He loved them all. 
But when they stepped out of line, it was called out for us to learn something. Of course Hashem loves us. Of course we know we're number one. But we still have to call the waiter sometimes. What is it? Everybody's got to do their own tshuva. That's why we have Rabbi Leaf here, my rub. So I would like to hear what he has to say. Rabbi Leaf, what's the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the message? What's the take home from everything that's going on? Rav Chaim is right. You don't just live life. You have to experience it. You have to change. You have to grow. That's what it means to be alive. But let's, let's tackle Sinas Chinam. Beis was destroyed because of Sinas Chinam. If you want to make a dent in Sinas Chinam, it's little things. Minor indiscretions build up into destruction of the Beis Amigdash. So yes, we have to be macabre something. It has to be a real Kabbalah. Your grandmother, your grandmother, Rabbi Epstein, your, 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 your Schwer's mother passed away at a young age. And your uncle, Rabbi Yisrael Lefkowitz, went into the Bava Rebbe of Shloyman and said, we need to make a Kabbalah. Younger people are passing away. Your uncle, Elazar Man, told me this when he came back from sitting Shiva. Back there. And we were a and a Masifta together. Bekitza, so he said like this, he was in a bunker with 19 other Yidden. A girl had gone out to forage for food and the Nazis were looking for them. They were so close that they were banging on the floorboards to try to find the empty hollow space. The girl was caught. She's screaming, Mama, Mama. The mother can't reveal herself or 18 Jews are going to get shot. They took a blanket and he threw it inadvertently, the Nazis, over the only air hole they had, a little candle they had in the bunker, underground bunker. It, it, it blew out. There was no oxygen. So the Bava Rebbe said, it's Kabbalah time. We've got to make a Kabbalah. And he said to himself, what will I do? What won't I do? I'll do Shas every year, every six months. And he said to himself, that's not a Kabbalah. A Kabbalah is something that when the danger passes and I'm living in the Upper West Side or in Borough Park, I'll still keep it. He was macabre on himself, something that we would think is not so significant concerning Malava Malka, but that's what he did. So yes, everyone's going to rush into the base medrash and hug the Aron Kodesh and kiss the floor and kiss each other. But it's got to be something we're going to keep a month from now too. A balabas, one of the Bnei Terah, called Sotum today. Out of nowhere, he kind of knows he talks a lot. He says, Rav, I'm accepting about myself not to talk to him when we come to Shul. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to do it. That's a real Kabbalah. It's not from me. I didn't bang him over the head. So the first thing with any kind of Kabbalah is you have to know that a Kabbalah works and any Kabbalah helps. But just like Sinas Chinam, it's little things. You talk about the schools being shut down. I don't know if anybody has, has mentioned this. I'll tell you a story. Many years ago, I was in Kiryat Sefer for the bar mitzvah of a nephew of mine. And both sides of the family were there, from my brother-in-law's side and from my sister-in-law's side. And one of his brothers is saying, he grew up in a different city. Every Rebbe killed him. Every Rebbe was terrible. Had it been up to those Rebbeim, he would be Michal Shabbos today, married a Shiksa. It's a nest that he's Jewish. And then I said, really, I can't believe it. Because every one of my Rebbeim were unbelievable. Rabbi Solov, Zatzal in first grade. Rabbi Rutner, Holocaust survivor, Zatzal in the second grade. Rabbi Senior Gross, Zatzal. Rabbi Spitzer. Rabbi Spitzer was Rabbi Reisman Schwer, Bianco Spitzer, Zatzal. Sherman was my seventh grade rabbi, the guy Nelson Sherman, Rabbi Fulman's that cell, David Fulman, Talmud of Rabbi Ringozovsky, each one. We loved him. 
And I said to myself afterwards, how could it be that every one of my rabbin was so fantastic and his rabbin could have killed him? And then I chop shot. You know, there's something called Parents Teachers Conference. I don't know what they call it today. In my day, we kids, my brother and I would say, till him by the Parents Teachers Conference. Because if the Rebbe said one thing wrong about you, the English teacher, you were gone. You were dead. It was over. Not that my parents hit us. But be so disappointed. Today, the Rebbeim say Tillam. Honestly. What's bringing this out in, your, in my child? What do you mean? He set fire to the building. You're Meshuggah, he's Meshuggah. Nobody has the reverence, the appreciation for a mora, for a teacher, for a Rebbe. Maybe many people do. I shouldn't say no one. Because I see now Mora is teaching with the Zoom. She doesn't know what she's doing with the computer. And the parents are appreciating it. Alts violent fine. We've got to bring back the old-time religion. You want your school back? then appreciate the rabbeim and the moros. Appreciate the school. You pay full tuition, you don't. It's kum garnished. That's what Hashem's saying. You think Tajbar is yours? Kum garnished. You think the Beis Medrash, the Beis HaKnes is yours? You think Lakewood and the Kailim supported them to Kail? Now's the time to redouble the effort. Send in money to BMG. You take it, everything for granted, I'll take it all away from you. So, so, so every person, I, just, I want to sum this up because we don't have a lot of time, but... He's saying every person has to take something. Yes, there has not... to be a takeaway. Whatever it might be, it doesn't have to be monumental. could be something that you think is small, but a Kabbalah that you're a changed man, woman, child because of this. You know, okay, I, wa- I, wanna, I-, I had a machshava that I wanted to end with, and I want to I use this idea of what you're saying here because I believe it's so true. You know, I get a million emails a-, a day. I always tell people you can reach out to me, email at marriagepro.co. And because I'm, I'm not OCD, I make sure that before I go to sleep, all my emails are read and, all, you know, and responded to and all my WhatsApps and, and, and texts and everything. So, Baruch Hashem, I'm not OCD. So, um, it's, it's, it's a very good way to live your life. So, I always, I, I read people's, you know, questions, whatever it is. I try to respond to them. And some people I have to call. And I, I can tell you that there's like an overwhelming amount of people who they, they, are, they are rock stars. They're superstars. They're changing their lives but they, they feel so down, like almost like they're, like they're not doing anything. And a lot of times I write back to people like, you're, 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 you're doing amazing. You're doing so, so much. You're, you're, there's not going to be this moment in time when you grow a cape, you know, and all of a sudden you just like start levitating above the ground. It's not necessarily going to be like that. And I know that a very famous, you know, story, right? he, want, he said, I'm going to change the world. Then he said, I'm going to change my country. I'm going to change my, you know, my city. I'm going to change my family. And then he changed himself and he changed himself and he changed his family. And he changed, right. And then it, it metaphor, metamorphosized into everything else. And I, I think a lot of people, they wait for that moment in time when like, oh, I have changed. I have accomplished. I have changed other people's lives. It's like you're waiting for that moment in time where something just happens. And Rabbi Leif, you see this from like such a big view. And Rabbi Rosenfeld, you see this from your view, from all your Talmudim, how many of them, it's that incremental move from here to here. And I think that this, this Nakud Rabbi Leif that you just brought out is so powerful and so true for so many people. If you can take something today that you were not doing, you implement it into your life and you know that this is going to have staying power, for 30 days, for 90 days, for 120 days, for a year, and this becomes a part of your day, that is, that's change. That's growth. You, you, somebody, somebody in business, there's, a, there's somebody I know, he, he manages a company that's worth a few billion dollars. And he once gave me one of the greatest pieces of advice for business. And I believe that it's mamish the key to growth in, in Ruchnius as well. He said, we have two hands. 
Babisha gave us two hands. The right hand is a very skilled hand. The left hand is not so skilled, right? You can't, if, you, if you're not a lefty, you can't start sewing with your left hand. It's gaitness, right? I mean, I can't sew with my right hand either, but you can't do skilled things with, with, with the hand that's not your dominant hand. So this person said, when you start off a business, everything is with your skilled hand. Everything is skilled because you have to be involved in how, how do you answer the phone and how does your email look and how does your logo look? And it becomes like a whole avoida. He says, but then you have a left hand. When you pass it to your left hand, your left hand could just stir the pot. It's very easy. And then you move on to the next thing. And then you start with your skill and what's your product and you build it up. And then you pass it to your left hand and you keep stirring it into the pot. He says, you always have to be stirring and skilled. Stirring and skilled. And if you're able to do that, then your business could grow and grow and grow. This person built his business to a multi-billion dollar company. And he says, always look at your business. A lot of people are focused in their business. Look on your business. Like Just look at it and you'll be able to see that growth that you're sitting there with your skilled hand, you're then passing it to your left hand and you're able to just keep that pot stirred. And I think when it comes to Ruchnius, it's, it's, it's so true, but so many people don't feel it. They don't feel like that moment in time when they all of a sudden just woke up and everything's just like, wow, I'm a new person. It's not, you're not a new person because you took it on today in 2020. And then in 2021, it's part of your left hand. So you say, what's the big deal? Yeah, it's not a big deal today, but you're such a higher level than where you were a year ago. And it comes about by taking on, so like these Kabbalahs, I think like what you're both saying, Rabbi Leif and Rabbi Rosenfeld, is this is not, it's not about having that moment in time where you take on like, you know, earth shattering. I'm fasting now for 40 days straight and I'm doing all these things. It's, it's benching from a bencher. It's the little, little things that become a part of your life for the long run. That's the what people need to internalize. And when they're doing that, they realize like, wow, I, I, I actually changed something in my life. Wow. It's powerful. That's powerful. Thank you, Rabbi Leif, Rabbi Rosenfeld. Thank you very much for joining. Thank you for taking your time. I want to remind our audience that on Monday night, we are having a special women's event with Mrs. Jackie Butone and Mrs. Slavi Youngreis-Wolf here on Torah Anytime at 8.30, an exclusive women's event. Very, very excited to do that. And Mr. Shem, we're going to be running this program twice a week, live here on Torah Anytime. Thank you very much. for You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.